Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Well, church, here we are. We are at the final installment once again of a series that we call Live Love. A series that we haven't always called Live Love, but the things that we normally lean into this time of year, we started leaning into these things back in 2008 when we were meeting at Southern Guilford Middle School and literally everybody in our church could fit on these three rows right here. And the things that I taught then are the same things that I've been teaching for the last 13 years at some point in this time of the calendar. And I know a lot of y'all weren't around back then, and, and, and there wasn't a whole lot to us. But every time I preach live love and I come to the end of it, there's something just emotional that wells up in me. Because it's like a benchmark for me. And I can't believe that God has saw fit to allow me to do this now 13 years times. Because y'all, we're, we're not supposed to be here. I don't know if y'all know, we are not supposed, like literally in randomly, we are not supposed to be here. But did you know that two out of every three church plants never make it to year three? I'll never forget when, when we were planning this church and got it, and we knew that God was calling us to this, and I went through some training and some processes to, to kind of prepare for this season. One of the first sessions I sat in on, they called us up there. They called three of us, and I was one of them. And we were standing in front of this group of people that were being called to plant churches all over the country. There were people going to Florida, to Michigan, to California. And they said, just so you know, statistics say Two out of those three guys will never see year three. And I thought, feel sorry for y'all. <laughs> Actually, I wish I could say that. I remember like a pit in my stomach thinking, I'm about to uproot my life. I'm, I'm, I'm shattering our world and so much. I've asked my wife to walk away from everything that we had known for the first seven years of our lives together to step into the unknown. And, and y'all, we had no money. We had no nothing. I raised this little tiny salary through asking anybody I had ever met, would you give me some money? For like for the next three years, would you commit to just giving five, 10, $20 a month? And, and I knew like exactly what we would need to barely make it by. And so it was just this little bitty salary and, and, and then we moved here, and three months later, my wife gets pregnant with twins. What's up with that? We just doubled the mouths we got to feed on this money that, but we weren't supposed to be here. And so every single year when we, when we get to this point where we wrap up another live love, there's a sense of gratitude that I'm still here. If, if I'm honest with you, there's a sense of relief that, that we made it, that we made it. And over the 13 years that we've been doing this, there's a lot, y'all, that's changed. There's so much that has changed. But I think the reason why we're still here is because there's some main things that have never changed. That we have not allowed ourselves to drift from what matters most. And even though along the way much has changed, and there's been several evolutions of us as a church and we now do things in many different ways. At our core, we have never lost sight of our why. 
And I think that's partly because every year we bring ourselves back into the space and we lean into it and we say, okay, inspiring people to live in love like Jesus has to be more than just a motto on some sheetrock. It has to be more than just a catchy slogan for some stagnant organization. That inspiring people to live in love like Jesus is at the DNA of what Jesus' church is supposed to be about. That we are here for no other reason than the one he gave us when he gathered those handful of followers on that mountain and he looked at him and he said, okay, I'm gonna give you the keys to the kingdom. Go. Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of all, all these things. And over the last few weeks, man, I think we've really leaned into that statement in a way that we needed because e- even for us, sometimes we can think, yeah, that's, what, that's why Vintage exists. It exists to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. But what does that even mean? That that statement can be some abstract, ambiguous phrase that has no real tangible meaning. What does it mean to live and love like Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? That if we're going to aim at that target, we have to make sure it's clear. And what God has been teaching us over the last several weeks, I needed it. I needed it because there's times, can I be honest, I've settled for less. I've settled for less than, than, than what that really means. That we, we've boiled inspiring people to live in love like Jesus just to how many people attend on a Sunday. And that really messed people up because then COVID hit and we as pastors couldn't count those people any, anymore and we didn't realize how many of us were tethered to the number in our room and lost our identity when COVID hit and we couldn't deal. But it was never about just how many people show up on Sunday. Church, come on, let's go. I know it's 10 o'clock. Y'all ready? It's more. And so we've been unpacking that. That a disciple is somebody who, yes, trusts in what he did, but then they live by what he said, and they model how he lived. And and we've been unpacking all that stuff. And I hope by now, especially if you've been here for every part of the series, if you haven't, you can watch it online, that you realize that God wants more than you just to pray a prayer, live like hell, and hope to go to heaven. Like the gospel is so much more than that. And the gospel does not only have value when you die, it has value while you're alive. That God wants to do something in and through your life as you find and follow him. And that's our mission And as long as I get the opportunity to be the pastor of this church, I will not settle for anything less than seeing us watch people step into the fullness of what the gospel affords them. And as we move forward as a church, I'm constantly reminded that Jesus has said that this mission that he's given us, has given us, he will equip us to accomplish it. He really said that from the very beginning. Because do you know that That thing, that moment on that mountain was not the only time Jesus said some really important stuff before he went back to heaven. Because he gave them, did you know, look at me, before he said go, he said wait. Before Before he told them to go, he commanded them to wait. Look at it, Acts chapter one. Before he told them to go, he commanded them to wait. Acts chapter four, I mean, excuse me, Acts chapter one, verse four. says, on one occasion, while he, Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command. He gave them this what? Command, not suggestion, 
command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He said, before you go, you need to wait. Because if you are going to accomplish the mission, you must be marked by the Spirit. Y'all with me? That if you're going to accomplish, the mission that I've given you is so much greater than you. The mission that I'm putting you on is going to be more difficult than your little brains can even fathom. What I'm asking you to do, making disciples, is hard. Getting people in a building, it ain't that difficult. You put on a good enough show, people will show up. We've learned that far, far too well, right? It's real in church today. Y'all ready? They said, wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit because you're going to need him. Because making disciples is not about your talent, your charisma, not even about your knowledge that the Holy Spirit has always been meant to be deeply involved in the church accomplishing its mission. Without him, we are nothing. The Spirit isn't negotiable or optional. He knew that if you're gonna make disciples, if you're gonna accomplish the mission, then you're gonna have to have my Spirit. So he says, wait, drop down to verse six. So then they gathered around him and they, they asked him, Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Like, I'm, I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you power so you can be my witnesses. I'm going to give you power so that you can step into every space and be able to share the beauty and power of the message that I've given you. Uh, but you, without this, you will be powerless and purposeless. But if you wait for the Holy Spirit, he's going to empower you in every way necessary, not for you to accomplish your agenda, but for you to achieve my mission. I'm going to give you the Spirit. And y'all, if you keep reading what unfolds on, as, as Dr. Luke walk, walks us through the events of the early church, which is a historical, accurate account of the first days of this thing that we now get to be a part of, his church. And they're all, they all gather up in this room, all the men, all the women, all everybody. They get in this room, and all of a sudden the room starts to shake a little bit, and the Holy Spirit falls, and all these things happen that make some of us who didn't grow up in the charismatic movement a little uncomfortable. And all these powerful things happen, and, and all of a sudden they step out, and they start talking, and there's people from all different countries and backgrounds, and they spoke different languages, and somehow they're like, we can hear them talking in, in our talk, like in our language. Like, I know these people are from Galilee, but why do I hear them in my, in my native tongue? Because the Holy Spirit, when he moves, he can do powerful things. And the church is born, and it's diverse, and it's beautiful, and it's powerful. And then what unfolds next over the pages of Scripture, y'all, that's what, that's what grips my heart. 
what I see happening next over these passages, over these next few pages of scripture as Luke records this story, we see the church in its infancy and all of its beauty and all of its wonder before we messed it up. Before humanity decided that hijacking the church was a very lucrative idea. When it was at its essence and you see all these amazing things happen. And y'all, in 2006, when, when, when I was reading this book for who knows how many times I have read it in my life by that point, I began to see this beautiful thing called the church existing in a way that I had never watched in my own experience. A church full of power and beauty and purpose. And I longed to see an expression of church that somehow reflected and, and mirrored what I saw in these pages, a church that, that was actually on mission, a church that wasn't consumed with all the wrong things, but was marked by all the right ones. And vintage was born. And maybe y'all didn't know that. That's why we call this vintage church. We get that all the time. I'll never forget, we were putting out feather banners at the middle school one Sunday, and I was putting out one that said Vintage Church, and this lady pulled up in a yellow Corolla. I don't know why I remember that part. And she said, excuse me, what is a vintage church? Is it like an old-timey church? I said, yes, ma'am, you should come on in. <laughs> Blew her wig right off first. I'm just kidding. But if you look up vintage in the dictionary, here's one of the definitions, representing the high quality of a pastime. Representing the high quality of a pastime. How long to be a part of a church that represented the beauty and wonder and power that I saw in the book of Acts. A church that's not about buildings and structures and all the things, even though those are necessary tools but a church marked by the Holy Spirit of God that made a difference in its community, that saw people being saved, that saw people being more than just saved, that people growing in their faith, a church that actually was making a big difference in the community in which it got to exist. And y'all, I started reading things, and you don't have to go far to see the things that grip my heart. Move into Acts chapter 2, verse 42 that right after the church was born, right after the day of Pentecost, right after all these thousands of people put their faith and hope in Jesus, this is what they did next. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Can you just stay right there for just a second? It doesn't say, then they built a really beautiful building. And they did all the, it says, no, like they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching that they got to sit at the feet of these men who got to walk with Jesus and say, what did Jesus do here? What did Jesus say about this? What was it like when Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave? What was it like? When, were you at the wedding when he turned water into wine? That must have been crazy. Were, were you, wait, which one of y'all got out of the boat when Jesus was walking? Tell me about that. Like they got to just sit at the feet of Jesus. And, and, and they, these disciples weren't concerned with making them like themselves. Their only mission was to make them like Jesus. And then they had fellowship. That even though they came from different stations in life and different backgrounds and different economic positions and education levels, they were just together. It says they broke bread. And they celebrated communion and they prayed together. 
It says everyone, verse 43, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's just something about that passage that just like strikes something in my spirit. Do you see it? And I don't know, maybe if you didn't grow up in the church at all, then when you read that and you lay it against your own experience, I don't know how you feel. But when I read that and I laid it against my own experience, the the two just didn't line up nearly as much as I hoped they would. That it wasn't about being consumed with all the things that the church has gotten consumed with over the years. Come on. And as we've moved throughout culture, there are things that as the church that we have to be concerned about that we must consider, but when you get consumed by those things, when you cross the threshold of concerned about to consumed with, you lose the markings of what God intended the church to be. Y'all with me? Say amen. And you see just a church that's, that's marked by the Spirit and marked by all the things, look at me, that only the Spirit can give. Moving to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Again, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that that was their pew or their ministry or their parking spot, even when it had a tag on it in memory of their grandmother. It says, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. Everybody's rent was paid. Everybody had food on their table. Everybody had clothes on their back. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. See, y'all, I see this expression of church that I had not experienced in my own life, and I long to see it, and I've dedicated my life into somehow making this like that, and I'll be the first to tell you we haven't always gotten it right There's constantly times I see evidence that we're missing the mark and I have to repent and ask God to give me strength to help bring us back towards what God wants it to be. And I deeply believe the reason why the church was so the church in the book of Acts is because they never did what we often do. They never allowed themselves to get consumed with the wrong things because there's no way, look at me, there is no way to be consumed by the things of this world and still be marked by the Spirit. It pulls you away. It causes you to drift. And the, identif- the thing that made the church so special was always the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through the individuals that were a part of it. That without the Holy Spirit, without his work, 
without his anointing, without his presence in this place, we are nothing. Even if we do good. And Paul, Paul talked about this, like that we, when we step into God and we ask him for salvation, he seals us, he marks us with his spirit that is the game-changing agent of who we are as a people. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him... Jesus, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, look, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You are marked. And look, I don't know what the future holds for our church. I don't know what it's going to take as we move from generation to generation in the years ahead. I don't know how we're going to need to continue to evolve in order to keep reaching people with the gospel. But what I know is the moment that we get consumed with the wrong things, we drift from being marked by the right ones. And it's my job to keep us in that space. And over the last couple of years, It's been really hard to not get consumed with all that's happening in our world. And look at me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about it. I'm not saying that we don't need to consider how we approach these things. But being concerned about and being consumed with are not the same things. You need to be concerned about politics. Some of y'all need to quit being so consumed by it. Can you preach or say that to you? There's things that we need to be concerned about, for sure. There's things that we need to consider what we will do as a church in order to attack these things. But y'all, when we get so consumed by it, it chokes the spirit and kindness and generosity out of our lives in a way that keep us from being his church. I don't, you don't think they, you don't think they had stuff to be concerned about? You want to talk about a culture and a political climate in the New Testament church when Rome was crazy. You don't think it was more difficult? We think we are such prisoners of our own time, as if nobody's ever suffered through things, as if no other culture or time has ever been. Y'all with me? I'm getting some looks like this preacher. (laughs) It wasn't that they weren't concerned about it. It wasn't that they didn't consider it. They just never seemed to allow themselves to be consumed by it. So much that they lost the markings of what it meant to be the church of God. And y'all, I've had to check myself over the last few years. Because the things that I know we need to be concerned about as a church, at times I let consume me. You know why I'm preaching with such passion? Because I'm guilty as anybody. Look at me. I'm as guilty as anybody as getting consumed with the things that I see happening around me. And over the last two years, it's been hard. But I wrote some things down in my journal that I thought would maybe be just for me, but I'm going to share them with y'all. 
I want us to be a church that's marked by spiritual maturity instead of consumed with numerical growth. I want us to be a church that's marked by spiritual maturity instead of consumed with numerical growth. I will not apologize that I want our church to grow. I want to reach new people. I want to see new people saved. I'm concerned about what it's going to take to reach the next generation. I want us to grow. But you know what? I don't ever want to see us a mile wide and an inch deep. I don't want to ever celebrate shallow. I want to be marked by people who are growing in their faith. People are marked by all the things that we've talked about over the last seven weeks. Marked by spiritual maturity. People that, yes, they find Jesus and follow him and they grow. And every year they sit under this house. They continue to take strides in their understanding of what it means to walk with Christ. I want to be marked by simplicity instead of consumed with strategy. I want to be marked with, by simplicity instead of consumed with strategy. As leaders, we're, we're constantly wanting to think strategically. But sometimes we can strategize ourselves into complication. Come on. We can very quickly become a really complicated organization instead of a simple gospel-breathing church. <laughs> Did you see? They met in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes, and they listened to the apostles' teaching. There was, if anything marked the early church, it was simplicity. I want to be marked by anointing instead of consumed with excellence. I want to be marked by anointing instead of consumed with excellence. Listen, I want to do things well. I think God deserves it. I don't think the church, should, I think the church should be the last place that does things halfway. But we can get so consumed with excellence that we think it's about us and for us and through us and forget that it's about God and for God and he will not put his hand on it when it's all about you. I want to be, I want to be marked with anointing. Because look, if God's spirit doesn't touch everything we do, we won't do anything of any internal significance. It may be cool, it may draw a crowd, but it won't change a thing. I want to be marked by generosity instead of consumed with more. I want to be marked by generosity instead of consumed with more. I want to be a church that's always willing to make the decision to give even when it's hard, to serve even when it's inconvenient, to release even when we want to hold on, whether it be people or money or whatever. Because we're, we're here to make a difference in this community, but I also believe that God is calling us to make a difference in his church. And if we can help any other church be effective in what it's called to do, we should and we will. I want to be marked by authenticity instead of consumed with approval. And this one hits me right in the face. Because by nature, I'm a people pleaser. But you know what I've learned? It's hard to please people and honor God most of the time. It's hard to be people pleasing and God honoring all the time. And if you've got to choose one, you know which one it should be. I want to be marked. And the reason why we can't afford not to be marked by, because God's gone to such great lengths to mark out. 
I know you don't understand what I just said, but I'm about to show you. We cannot afford to not be marked by because God has gone to great lengths to mark out. Do you know, look at me, God has marked out that you and I be here in this time and in this town. That God could have put you in any other place and time in any part of human history. The fact that you're alive is for such a time as this. We have been marked out for this town in this time to be his vessel, to be his vehicle, and we cannot afford to waste it. That's exactly what Paul says. Look at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Paul's in Athens. And he says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Verse 24, y'all soak up, soak this in. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And listen to this. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. That means that you, you aren't random. You are not alive in this moment, in this season, at this time, by chance or coincidence, but by the design ordained by the hand of the creator of the universe. There is nothing accidental about the fact that you're here in this moment, in this time, in this town. God has carved out for this to be our time. He had a moment for them in Acts, and he has a moment for us right now to be his voice, to be his hands, to be his feet, to make him known to the world, and we cannot afford to waste it. And we will, church, we will, if we get consumed by the wrong things. Believe me, I know, because I have. last two years have been really hard. And if I'm honest, I really didn't think I would make it to preach another live love at this church. Because I was done. There's been many moments, and look, I'm not saying, hear me out, and I'm not, I don't need your pity. I'm just telling you my story. Because I don't know how to be anything other than transparent. come this close to resigning from this church multiple times this year because I was just done. Just done. I just didn't want to do it anymore. My mind said, didn't think I could. I believed y'all needed better. And I got so consumed with all the negative and all the other things that were happening, I was miserable. And when you come home and your wife looks at you and she says, you walk around this house like you hate your life every day and I don't know how to help you. And then you convince yourself, it's just time to do something different. 
all the way up until the Saturday before the first part of this series, that's how I felt. And I remember thinking, God, I can't stand on that platform and preach this series again, knowing what's in my heart and my head right now. And that first Sunday, God woke me up early in the morning. I just started to pray. And I knew that like my attitude had been draining the life out of our staff and something had to change. And you know what God said? It's not gonna be your circumstances. It has to be your perspective. That everything you're consumed by, you must be concerned with. It's your responsibility as a man, as a leader, as a pastor. But you're the one choosing to let yourself be consumed by it. And it's robbing you of all the things that could mark you by my spirit because I don't have room in your heart, in your head anymore. And you're gonna have to let this stuff go. And so I have. And every day I've been looking for those moments, those reminders, those affirmations to remind me that God's not done with me. God's not done with this church. And frequently, I get them. I got another one this morning. Every now and then, Facebook will do something good. Popped up on my memories. Four years ago today, November the 21st, 2017. It's just two words, it's official. That was the day, four years ago today, we signed the lease for this building. Nine years before that, I had stood in here buying communion elements when this was a grocery store, and God said, this will be your worship. This will be where you worship. This will be your house. This will be where I see people saved, and they, they buy bread here now, they're going to get the real bread later. Four years ago today, on the final installment of the hardest live love I've ever had to preach, God reminds me, I keep my word. I follow through on my promises. I am not done with you. And don't you ever let the enemy convince you otherwise that you are the man I've chosen to lead this church. And it doesn't matter what happens. I put you there and no one can pluck you from it. So you strive forward, young man, with your head held high, believing that he is in you, with you, and for you, and you stay the course. And I'm gonna, and we're gonna. Will you stand on your feet with me? God, we believe deeply that you have marked out this time, this place, this church, for this community, in this season, and God, we will not be distracted. God, forgive me for the times that, Lord, I've let myself get consumed by things that, yes, they're important, they're needed, they're necessary, but God, I want to be marked by your spirit and all that comes with it. I want to be sealed by your promise and empowered by your purpose, and God, I pray that today that you would help all of us that call this church home to realize that we're here more than just to go to church. We're here to be the church. We're here to be the light, the city on the hill, the one that calls people to Jesus, the one that you use to be the vehicle to make yourself known in this community. And God, I pray that something new would well up, a sense of hope, a sense of 
wonder for the future that God we will cut loose from the things that we might think could hold us back believing that in Christ the best is always ahead of us and God I pray that you would just infuse our church with more hope for what will be than we've ever felt in our lives in Jesus name we pray amen thanks for listening to the Venice Church podcast we hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.